0: another edition of the Untitled Jeff Buck Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Buck, and today it is a post-race version of the podcast after we've seen a crazy Dover race, and I'm pleased to be joined by my friend Jordan Bianchi, who is in Minnesota. I'm in Portland, Oregon, but we are virtually together here. Jordan, how are you?
1: I'm doing well. We got a lot to talk about today. It's going to be fun.
0: Yeah, I'm glad we had something to talk about because for a while there... Holy crap. That was a dog crap race. I thought, I mean, I was just like, Oh no, this is just terrible. Nobody will ever listen to this podcast because there is just nothing to talk about. I mean, it was just looked like Harvick was going to lap the field or something. I mean, he was just completely dominating. There had seemed to be nothing happening. Um, I was like, man, and then all of a sudden everything just changes, you know?
1: Yeah, it was, it was, it was not the best race for the first three-fourths of it, and, you know, Kevin Harvick was running away, and the, the, the drama kind of was, well, you know, is Eric Almirola going to put himself in a position to have a good run and, and get some points and, and everything else, but, like you said, then everything just kind of went a, uh, kind of askew there, and that that that, was that late stop there, because you had Kyle Busch, uh, Kevin Harvick, and Martin Truex Jr. all had some issues, and then, of course, the crash at the end, so it just kind of threw a big monkey wrench in this, and really, it was, uh, this was a game-changer in a lot of respects.
0: Yeah, I mean, sometimes you 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 know we joke about the the caution that changes everything, uh, but it really did this time. I mean, it first of all the race had already changed because Harvick has his pit problem um, and obviously not too happy about it. Once again, where he is a great car and and is not able to finish the race because of a mistake by his team seems to be a familiar story for him. He how many uh, many more races could he have won over the last few years? I mean, it seems at least ten probably, probably more than that. Um, and here's another one where clearly they should have had this one and, and they let it go. Uh, but that opens the door for Eric Almirola and it's sure looking like Eric Almirola's race. Um, and shockingly, it, you know, it wasn't something, you know, Clint Boyer, um, you know, felt bad because his wreck going back on the track led to the situation where Almarola wasn't going to be able to just win under green, but it, it wasn't anybody else's fault. I mean, Almirola was the one that screwed it up for himself on that final restart. Wouldn't you say?
1: Yeah. I mean, he, he needed a good restart there. He, he had the opportunity to get a good restart and he should have. And if he does that, how things turn out is much different, but that's kind of in a lot of respects is a story of Almirola season where he's had some good race cars, but they don't always have the finishes to correspond with that for a variety of reasons. And some of that's self-inflicted some of it's because of other circumstances and today was a perfect example of this. Instead of leaving Dover with, he was in really good position to get a win and locking himself into that third round. He's now outside of the cutoff, and he goes into a track at Talladega where he's ran well before, in a in a really kind of tenuous spot that you don't want to be in. And his playoff, you know, his whole situation is completely flipped on its head now.
0: Yeah, I I really think that this was probably his chance. Um, just because, I mean, the lack of playoff points for him, so glaring and you see how it was showing up, um, you know, even when he was going to finish second to Harvick, it was like, he was below the cutoff line if he finished second. And then, you know, having a chance to have that win would have launched him, uh, into the next round as it ultimately did for chase Elliott. And, you know, now he's even in a worse position. So you like, you never know what can happen at Talladega. Kansas is the cutoff race this round. I would think that that's going to be somewhat crazy, although he'll have a good car. I don't know that he's going to be able to win. And um, so I, I think this was really his chance and, and a blown opportunity ultimately for him. Um, I, I will say, though, that, you know, there was a lot of guys who got caught up in that late. I mean, Bowman uh, looks like he's going to be able to salvage a decent day, ends up wrecked. Uh, Keselowski has damage and his margin, um, shrinks a little bit. He's, he's 21 points of the good right now, but you know, if, Ta- if Talladega goes wrong for him, for some reason, he's not going to be in great shape. And then even Truex isn't in amazing shape, uh, because of some damage that he got late there, I think. And, um, you know, the only ones who are really golden right now, I think are Chase Elliott, Harvick and Kyle Bush. Other than that, I mean, Everybody is going into Talladega, going now. What's going to happen? Yeah,
1: absolutely, and if you look at it, it's you know Clint Boyer was going to have a, it, you know, way he cried, that late crash there it looked like he was just going to kind of plummet and really find himself in a points hole, and yet he's only ten points down. I mean, that's that's a lot, especially with only two races left, and you're going into like we said Talladega and Kansas has a reputation for being kind of chaotic. But that's a lot better than what it was going to be for Clint Boyer. So you have to feel good if you're if you're him in that 14 team. And I would also look at Kyle Larson. They had a really off day today. I mean, he was. I think it's fair to say Larson was probably one of the favorites going in today. A lot of people pegged him. He had been fast in practice. He had long range speed or long run speed, and he was just off today. And it looked like he was going to find himself in a, in a bad spot. And yet he's only 12 points off because he was able to kind of pick his way through there at the end and get a somewhat decent finish. So, yeah, there there were some guys who it looked like it was going to be really good and it ended up really bad. And there were some guys who looked like it was going to be really bad and it turned out pretty decent. So it, this sets up a, a very interesting Talladega for sure.
0: Yeah, I didn't even think about um, the Boyer's uh, damage sort of being minimized because – but you're right. I mean, uh, it could have been a lot worse for him. He could have been an, almost in a must-win situation in one of these next two races, as Bowman pretty much is at this point. Uh, but instead, he's he's got a chance to just survive Talladega and then go to Kansas, where certainly Stuart Haas will give him a good car, and he, he can still be alive. Um, man, though, I, I got to say what you mentioned about Kyle Larson— What in the world happened? I mean, Kyle Larson, you're watching him on on the practice broadcast and he's saying, I think we have got the second best car here. I'm really happy. You know, Harvick's really great, but we're right there. Um, You know, they didn't get to to qualify, so he wasn't going to start up front, but it seemed like they were going to be just fine. And then completely out to lunch all day. I mean, I know he had a penalty, but... He was just never a factor at all, and that was really puzzling to me.
1: It's really puzzling, and it it is a miss, and it's a reflection on this team. They didn't do well in a race that they frankly should have. This is a good racetrack for Kyle Larson. They obviously had speed throughout the weekend. This was shaping up to be a a good kind of a bounce-back race after a frustrating week um, on the Roval. And to come here and to not do it on Sunday – um, it's it's a reflection on them, and it reflects poorly on them. This is something that they have kind of had throughout the, the, uh, their playoffs, where they have moments, they have races that they just kind of fall flat on their faces. And it seemed like they kind of overcame that at the Roval a little bit, and they were able to get out of the first round, and they come to a racetrack they should do well at, and they don't. Um, I, I don't understand it. I don't know why that happens. It, it, but it, it continues to happen with this team, and it's just – it is – it puts him in a bad spot because he's he, he's he's fine on restricted play tracks. We know he runs well on the intermediate mile and a half race tracks like Kansas. But when you're twelve points down, you've got to be on the offense here. And you no longer have a safety net, and that's the big thing to me is that you can no longer have that bad race. you've got to be pretty flawless from here on out, and even then you still kind of need some luck to kind of happen to, to for something to happen to the guys above you to bounce ahead of them and they no longer have that they have to go out and they have to kind of they have to accrue stage points now very aggressively, and they cannot have a bad finish,
0: yeah, I don't know. it just seems like with that with that Larson team the way he starts out, like if he mm-hmm. starts out bad during a race, like they never, they yeah. never fix the car for him. They never really get it better. I mean, is that fair? Or am I, am I off base there?
1: No, I think that's a really good point. It's, it's, it's kind of, you know, look at Chase Elliott today. Chase Elliott through most of the race wasn't a great car. He never looked like a dominant race winning car. He looked like a guy who's going to kind of struggle to finish in the top 10. And then what happens? He ends up in victory lane. Now things happen to kind of put him there, but they took advantage of the circumstances and, You don't see that to happen with the 42 team. Like you said, it it is a situation where if they start off and the the, the setup isn't there and they're chasing it and trying to find it, it doesn't seem to kind of come to them. They're a team that it has to almost be there from the get-go, and that wasn't there today.
0: Let's talk about Chase Elliott because, you know, he won the race and we haven't really touched on him too much. Um, For a while, it just looked like it was going to be a totally Ford-dominated day after Chase Elliott had his penalty. There was no Chevrolets in the top 11 for a while. I think Austin Dillon at one point in 12th was the highest running Chevy. And it looked like, wow, Chevy's totally out to lunch as it turns out and pointed out by our friend, Jeffrey Miller, this turns out to be the first oval non-plate win for the Camaro because, you know, they had, uh, the Daytona, they did the Daytona 500, excuse me. And then they had the road course win that Elliott won, but this is the first, um, Oval non-plate win. So finally, this point in the season, uh, they get one. How how serious do we take Chase Elliott's chances going forward?
1: I like Chase a lot going into the playoffs. I looked at him as one of those drivers. I kind of had him penciled into my final four because he ended the regular season very strongly. Hendrick Motorsports had apparently found some speed in the intermediate tracks. Um, Chase obviously got that win at Watkins Glen, which kind of seemed to break through a little bit and kind of uh, you know ease that pressure that he'd been feeling to get that first win. And then if you look at the playoff schedule, it sets up well for him. He runs well at a lot of these racetracks. Dover's a good track. He almost won this race a year ago. He's good at plate tracks when they go to Talladega. He's obviously he's good at Martinsville. He almost won that race a year ago. So I looked at him coming in as, as kind of not necessarily a favorite because I think it's pretty clear who the favorites are with Bush, Harvick, Truex, and, and those guys. But Elliot was that next tier, and I really liked him to get through, whether he was going to win in advance or he was going to point his way through. So that he was able to do so wasn't a surprise. What's surprising is, to me is that he wasn't dominant today. He didn't have a great race car, but at the end, he put himself in position – And that was a terrific restart with older tires than Denny Hamlin to to get the better of Hamlin, um, a veteran. Um, That speaks well of Elliott because these are situations in late races where Elliott has struggled in the past, where he hasn't really kind of come through, but he did that today. And this is now two for two for him. If you go back to Watkins Glen where Truex was all over him in the closing laps – these are moments where Elliott's kind of kind of let it slip through before, and it seems like he's kind of put that past him now, and now he's kind of learning how to close races out, which is something he hasn't done before.
0: Yeah. I, I am still not sure how seriously to take his chances, but um, now that he's gotten to this next round, obviously he's going to have a great chance at Martinsville to make the Final Four. I originally had him in my Final Four. Then I wussed out after this round, and uh, I took him out. Um, if my final four were the big three plus Keselowski after, after the, uh, the cutoff race at the Roval, um, I took Elliot out. So probably regret that now maybe, but, uh, I still don't know how serious to take it, but I, I do have to wonder too, like on that last restart, as you mentioned, you know, it comes down to Denny Hamlin who had 50 lap fresher, uh, at least right side tires. I think they okay. said, and Chase Elliott and, um, I, I, I have to wonder, maybe this is an unfair assertion uh, or a thing to even say, but um, wouldn't a more confident Denny Hamlin be able to pull that off? I mean, it seemed like, you know, Denny, obviously, he, you know, he hasn't won a race all year. He's down on himself. He's, he's, you know, they're sort of at a low with his race team, missing the, the next round. Um, it just, you know, not, not a lot is going right for him. And, you know, it seemed like he stuck it in there and, and uh, I don't know, you know, Chase Elliott seemed to have a run, but, you know, after he sort of got advantage, it was just like, it was over and, and Hamlin, uh, I'm sure fought to do what he could, but I, you know, I have to wonder if like, if Denny has been winning races and feeling more confident and more swagger, you know, does he force that a little bit more? I I don't know. What do you, what do you, what's your take I, I on that? I think it's a
1: fair a fair comment to make, you know, considering where Hamlin's been this year. And I would also say I was expecting a very aggressive Denny Hamlin on that restart because of everything you mentioned. He hasn't won a race this year. It's kind of a, a year where things have just gone away from him and they, and they haven't been in victory lane. And we know how bad he wants to continue that, that consecutive season winning streak. I thought we were going to see a very, very aggressive Denny Hamlin there. I'm not saying he was going to wreck Chase Elliott, but I would not have been surprised if he could have put a fender on him, and I, and I was surprised that didn't happen. But Elliott got such a good restart, though, too, that Hamlin couldn't really catch up to him to maybe do that. So I, I was very curious to see how that played out. I also wonder, you know, with their history that they, they have, and I know they've put that behind them and they're, they're fine now. But I also wonder if there was maybe some thought there of, you know what, I don't want to maybe recreate that what happened at Martinsville again. And if I do get physical with you know, Chase Elliott, I'm going to have to go through that whole thing again and the fans are going to hate me again and, and all of that stuff. And we know that Denny last year, didn't appreciate being booed. He didn't like it. He didn't like being kind of in that villain role. So I, I'm wondering, too, if that was something that crossed his mind. And, you know, we're kind of diving deep into his psyche a little bit, but that is certainly something to consider.
0: Yeah, no, I, I don't, I don't disagree with that at all. Um, you know, I, I guess the the big question is with Talladega coming up now, who, you know, who of these playoff drivers do you feel like has to have a good Talladega performance? I mean, yeah, everybody's going to try to, you know, not wreck, but who like has to go out there, um, and really shine and really like, you know, either get a top five or, or go out and try to win, you know, um, Keslowski obviously is going to be the favorite going there, I, I would say, but I don't know that he has to go do his thing where he wins. I think if he gets a top five, he should be okay points wise going into Kansas. So I don't know that he has to go win who who's in that position you see like that just really needs to go out there and do it.
1: Well, I think really anybody from Blaney on back is in a spot where they're going to have to go out there and, and be aggressive and get stage points and run up front and get good finishes. And obviously, Alex Bowman is in a must-win mode. That that's his only way to go forward. Is he's going to have to get a win. But Blaney, but, see, Eric for, Bummer, but
0: with him though, with him, I you know I I can't see Alex Bowman winning that race. I mean, maybe that's really? not fair, but I can't see. I, I you know still it seems like the guys who win are the guys who can control the draft up front and things like that. So, um, I, am looking for somebody who sort of, you know, like a Logano type who can do it, or even a Kurt Busch type who understands how to plate race and be up front and has all that experience, things like that. You know, um, I, I just can't even picture some of these guys winning. Like I can't, um, You know, I don't know. Like, could could Blaney win it? Maybe.
1: Absolutely. Blaney is a terrific, terrific restrictor plate racer. He Mm -hmm. led 107 laps in Daytona 500. He's put himself in position in these plate races many, many times to have good runs, good finishes. He is. He doesn't have that win on a plate race. He also won his dual qualifier earlier this year. He doesn't have a a cup points win on a plate track, but he is a terrific plate racer. He can absolutely go out there and, and do this. Um, and you mentioned Alex Bowman and you don't believe that he can do it and I, and I respectfully disagree in the fact that he, he has he has been strong in plate races before now finishing and, and getting good finishes is, is a different story. But if you go back to July at Daytona, you would have never said that Eric Jones is a plate guy and, and some of you expect to win the race and that's what he did. And yeah, the, the same guys keep winning regularly win these races, the Keselowskis, the Logano's, the Hamlins. Um, the Harvicks, you know, those guys keep winning these races because there is an art to this, and I don't care what anybody says, that, that you know, that these guys keep winning says something about their abilities. Um, but there is an opportunity here for a surprise to pop up and, and get that win. You know, I wouldn't have said Austin Dillon was going to be one of the guys I would have expected to win the Daytona 500. He did. Eric Jones. Um, That's true. Winning, you know, in July. I mean, I, I think, like you said, I think Keslowski and Logano – are the favorites, and they deserve to be recognized as that. But this is still an opportunity where a guy who wants to be aggressive um, it has an opportunity to go out there and, and be you, – You, if your car is just okay, I feel like the driver can almost make up the difference on a play track because of the draft.
0: So Boyer, do you think Boyer needs to go out and try to win that race or just not uh, have further damage before Kansas? You
1: know, that's, it's a weird spot for these guys if you're, you know, you're, you're Almarilla and Boyer because you're only 10 behind. So if you get some stage points and you, you kind of assume that, you know, some other guys are going to have issues, you kind of have to go into this and kind of, I think you almost have to kind of have to take it as things go and you want to go in there and you want to get stage points. And then you kind of want to see what happens. If guys ahead of you in the standings end up getting crashed out early and you have an opportunity to gain a bunch of points, then maybe you probably go into conservative mode and you say, you know what? We're just racing for a top 15 finish here. And we just want to get out of Talladega a good spot because we are going to jump ahead in the standings and the guys ahead of us who came into that way are going to fall behind. But if th- that wreck doesn't happen, or you know the kind of the, the craziness that we're expecting to happen doesn't occur, then you're going to have to kind of change your mentality a little bit, and, and you know later in the race you're going to have to be very aggressive and, and drive to the front and start thinking you know what what am I going to do here to get this win or finish as close as possible. So I don't think there is one approach, an absolute one approach you have to have going into this race. It kind of involves evolves depending upon circumstances.
0: Uh, before we move on, um, completely, uh, let's just touch on Dim- Jimmy Johnson real quick, because that was a pretty shocking way to start the, the day. Uh, you know, people were talking about Jimmy Johnson as a possible contender for the race after his problem, uh, or, you know, his near win and out of the playoffs at the Roval. And then before the race even gets started, he's 10 laps down, um, you know, is Jimmy Johnson ever going to win again?
1: <laughs> uh, I, He's going to win again. I don't know if it's going to be this year. I mean, it, it's obviously he's.
0: A, when then? When? Uh, When's the only he thing win? I can say,
1: I would say Martinsville. I mean, that's his best chance. I mean, he's, he's so good there that he has a really good chance to win there. You know, maybe he wins Talladega, Um But if that doesn't happen, the win doesn't happen at Taldega, The win doesn't happen at Martinsville. I, I don't think Jimmy Johnson is going to win this season, which is something I didn't think I would ever say.
0: Yeah, I don't think he's going to win this season anymore, um, you know, and I, I, I'm i not sure. Like, the the way this is going for them now, um, you know, it's, it's tough to project, but I don't know how many more seasons he's going to run, but they're not anywhere close for the most part. And when they have problems like they did today, uh, you know, I, I don't know what exactly, you know, if that was just a pure mechanical failure or something somebody forgot to check or what. Um, but, I mean, pretty shocking and... You just kind of wonder like his, you know, somebody on Twitter said from horseshoe to horse, you know what? Um, yeah. <laughs> that's what Jimmy's gone yeah, to these you last know couple what? of years.
1: I will, you know, sometimes there's just these years where th- everything that can go wrong just kind of goes wrong. And it seems like finally Jimmy Johnson's having the year. It took a long time, but it's just, it is one of those years. And I think Denny Hamilton's kind of having that too. A guy we expect to win races and be in contention for the championship it just hasn't happened for him for a variety of reasons, and we've seen it happen to Kyle Busch. We've seen it happen to Brad Keselowski. It just it seems to happen occasionally for a lot of different reasons, and there's not sometimes it's just not much you can do to kind of get out of this this slump. You just kind of got to ride it out, and eventually, just kind of shrug your shoulders and say, you know what, we're looking forward to next year getting here because we want this season to be over with.
0: Yeah, it's pretty crazy though. Like to be this far into the season, and like you mentioned, Jimmy doesn't have a win. Denny doesn't have a win. Kyle Larson.
1: I mean, uh, Jimmy Johnson. You know, Kyle Larson, Denny Hamlin are all guys who had multiple victories last year, and yet they're all winless this year, which is not something that we'd all we, we we'd expected. And especially in Kyle Larson's case, because this is a guy who really kind of seemed to be coming into his own, and was a guy who I think we all agree was going to kind of take that next step in his career. And in while he's been very good this year, and I think he's actually ran better than his results indicate he still has a zero in the win column.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. Well, Jordan, when this, uh, poll comes out tomorrow on whether it was a good race, um, I don't know what people are going to say. This is going to be a tough one. I had people jumping down my throat on Twitter, uh, (laughs) right after the race saying, this is going to prove that your poll is skewed because this race sucked and everybody's going to go vote on the winner, blah, blah, blah. But I do think though, that even though most of the race was boring, you did have an exciting last bit and regardless of the winner, it was still exciting at the end. I don't know that that makes it a good race overall. Um, but you know, I, I don't, I also don't think that it's going to be wildly out of whack just because Chase Elliott won and people will automatically vote for it. I think there's enough people who will judge it as a whole or, or perhaps to them, a good race is a good finish. So I don't know, but, um, what is your prediction percentage wise for where the was-it-a-good-race poll uh, yes percentage will be?
1: I think ultimately, because it was Chase Elliott who won this race and because the last 40 laps or so were pretty you know, wild and entertaining, I think people are going to remember that than more than what happened before the craziness started. So I'm going to say 71%.
0: Okay. I was sitting here thinking 65% in my head, but I'll give you a little bit more breathing room there. Uh, I don't want to encroach on your percentage too much. So I will I'll, I'll knock mine down to, um, to 62% say, yes, you say 71%. Um, yeah, I, I think it, one of us, it could be in the middle somewhere around that. I'd be surprised if it was, you know, in the upper seventies and I'd be surprised if it was too close to 50. So, um, yeah, I think so. So, uh, Jordan, I appreciate you hopping on here to do this, and if it's okay, I'd love to have you back on while I'm uh, on on baby watch here and waiting for the baby. I guess I could have gone to Dover after all (laughs) because there's no baby today as of now. So, um, but, you know, I guess... You probably if I'd gone to Dover, then the baby probably would have come, right?
1: Uh, Yes. And it's better to be home safe with the wife. Everything's good. And I definitely will be happy to join you again. And I think if we do this again next week at Talladega, we are going to have a lot of stuff to talk about.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, Talladega, certainly the middle race and people already in sort of uh, some desperate points positions is going to be fun. So we'll have Jordan back on. uh, And of course, you can follow him at Jordan underscore Bianchi, which is B I. B-I-A-N-C-H-I. Is that right?
1: That is correct. You nailed it.
0: Okay, perfect. I was trying to spell that out in my head as I was going off. and (laughs) You know, I'm not too good at that. Anyway, for those listening, uh, the next podcast will be a 12 questions with Timmy Hill. That comes out Tuesday. Then there will be a how I got here on Thursday. haven't nailed down exactly which one I'm going to run this week for Thursday. And then hopefully we'll have Jordan back on next week for the post-race podcast to talk about Talladega. So thanks to those of you who are listening and I'll talk to you next time on the untitled Jeff Gluck podcast.